Well, good morning again. Merry Christmas to you all. If you have your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to get them out. We're going to be turning to a lot of different places. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and I'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Maybe do some finger exercises right now because we're going to be going, you know, here and there and all over the place. Uh, got a special message this morning called Here Comes the King. And uh, maybe to get a head start, turn to Genesis chapter 3. That'll be one we'll actually break apart for a little bit. So we'll get there eventually, but then we'll get about, probably I'm thinking, four other places that we're turning to this morning. So loosen up your fingers and we're ready to go. All right, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, how powerful Lord, you use your word to change our lives. And Lord, as we look at the, uh, the, the Christmas story, the arrival of your son to this earth to take care of our sin problem, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would maybe gain new insights into the whole uh, scenario, Lord. See more how much you love us and care for us and the great sacrifice that was paid for us. Lord, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, they're not born again this morning. We pray, Father, that you'd especially touch their heart today, that they'd see their need for you and turn to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word again. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if all you knew about Christmas, you learn from the Christmas songs that are out there today? Not old songs, just the new ones that are out there today. A snowman actually came to life. That's what Christmas is all about. A flying deer that as it's flying, its nose lights up bright red. How about this one? A heavyset man that breaks into your house, through your chimney, eats your cookies, drinks your milk, and then leaves. Isn't that breaking and entering? Or maybe this one, worst of all, my mother kissing Santa Claus. Uh, I mean, there might be something else you know, about a little baby being born shivering in the night, but instead of a blanket to keep him warm, they give him silver and gold. And so, uh, I don't know. But you think that for many, the message of baby Jesus in the manger, you know, the, the star in the sky and the shepherds bowing down before him, just another Christmas fable. Some people think that. I think people know more about Santa Claus than they knew about Jesus Christ. They know more about Frosty the Snowman and the Grinch who stole Christmas than they know about Jesus. So this morning I want to put aside the fables and look specifically at our king coming to this earth. You know, often we think about at Christmas, we think of it as the birth of Jesus. And it was, but we need to also understand that it was as much of a, a departure as it was an arrival. From our perspective on earth, a child was born. From God's perspective in heaven, a son was given. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You don't need to turn there. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Bible is very clear in pointing out that Jesus Christ was and is God himself. Uh, Jesus did not come into existence there in Bethlehem. Now, we say he was born there, and in a sense he was, because it's there where he took on this human body. But as Jesus himself would say in Revelation chapter 22, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first 
and the last. Jesus has always been. But he came into this, this world because the world was dark. And through the darkness shined a great light, the light of Jesus. Matthew 4.16, you don't need to turn there. It says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus coming to this earth. You know, the true meaning of Christmas causes Christians all over the world to celebrate. And it should be a time of celebration. But for some, even believers, it can be a kind of time of just, just draining, uh, you know, uh, all of our resources, draining of time, and the shopping for people you only see once a year, you know, fighting parking spaces. You wait and you wait for that car to pull out. And yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. They're getting in their car. And they just drop off the packages and go back into the mall. Oh, no. Christmas can be overplayed. Christmas music, overdrawn bank accounts. And so often it can be a heavy burden. No longer it's a season to celebrate, but it becomes a season for frustration. And what we find is as we get just days away from the actual day of celebration is we've lost our focus completely. Why is that? Well, the answer can be found in Jesus. I'm convinced if you really know Jesus, then you come to realize that He's the burden lifter. He's the one who came to carry our burdens, not put more burdens on us. And if you know the Jesus of the Bible, then you'll discover that he's ready to help, not only just during this Christmas season, but all year long in our lives. Now, we know that Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come to this earth. So I call this study, Here Comes the King. But let's look at three things this morning, if you're taking notes. Number one, the announcement of his birth. Number two, the arrival of his birth. Number three, the apparel of his birth. First, the announcement of his birth. Normally, when you are going to have a child, there is an announcement. I remember almost nine months ago and about two months ago, my wife and I received two announcements. First from my daughter, who said they're having a baby. Then from my son and his wife, who said, well, we're having two babies. And, and so, uh, you know, and it's exciting. We, we found out. But then they said, but don't say anything until we're further along. No, that ain't right. I'm going to be a grandpa for the first time and I can't say anything yet. This ain't, ain't right. But man, the day came when I, okay, you can say something now. Oh, yeah, man, we're going to have grandkids. It's going to be great. Well, that's kind of what the Father has done here. However, God's first announcement of Christ's birth wasn't to a family, but actually to a foe. It wasn't to a friend, but to an enemy. Look now at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right here, in one of the first sections of Scripture, is the very first announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. See, the first Adam had just fallen in sin along with his wife Eve. Sin has now entered the world. And now something needs to be done. There's a, there's a problem. There's a sin problem. And we know that the Lord warned Adam in Genesis 2.17, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it you shall surely die. And we know that Satan came and tempted Eve and Adam and they fell. And yet God, being the God of second chances, says, Okay, I'm going to fix the sin problem. How? Well, through the birth. Through the baby. It's a Christ child. He's the answer. 
And that announcement came in Genesis 3, verse 15. And, and you know, when, you, when you're going to have a baby, you have all these great dreams about what your child is going to accomplish, what they're going to become. Oh, my son, he's going to be a doctor. Or my daughter, she's going to be a, this phenomenal musician. And you start looking into their future. Well, here in, in Genesis 3.15, God the Father announces to the serpent what his son will do. When my son is born into this world, he's going to grow up, and one day he's going to crush your head. I love that. I love that. I mean, how do you like that? I mean, God the Father is saying, uh, you know, Christ would come and he would bruise or literally crush the head of the serpent, Satan. But Satan would bruise the heel of the promised seed. See, that, that's the first picture of the cross where Christ was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions, cleansed our sin with His own blood, thereby crushing the head of Satan's authority in our lives. And notice in verse 15, the Lord says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Notice that phrase, her seed. You do not find that anywhere else in Scripture. In fact, you don't find that anywhere else in any historical literature either. Why? Well, if you remember your biology 101 class, a man has a seed and a woman has an egg. But here in this verse it says, her seed. Now there are some that say, aha, there's a contradiction in the Bible. There's a mistake. I found it. No, it's not a contradiction. It's a, it's a proclamation. It's an, an announcement of the fact of the power of God. See, God is able to do what we can't do. And what we see here is that through the very first prophecy in Scripture, it's Jesus being born into this world through the virgin birth. This verse is speaking of the virgin birth. Not only an announcement of the birth of, of, of the baby, but that this child would be born of a virgin. You know, having a baby is a miracle in and of itself when you think about it. I mean, a woman begins to grow and suddenly nine months later, out you came. That's pretty amazing. But even more so, again, in verse 15, that her seed, the virgin birth. Now, there's more to back this up. Get your fingers ready. Turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Because it's here we find another reference to the virgin birth. But I want to paint for you the picture of what's going on there first in Isaiah 7. Isaiah was a prophet called by God to proclaim God's heart to more than one kingdom. He's going to rule over Uzziah's kingdom, Jotham's kingdom, Ahaz and Hezekiah's kingdom. And now we're picking it up where Isaiah has a declaration for Ahaz in chapter 7. Ahaz, very, very wicked king of Judah. He's not in the mood to follow God. And so what God is doing is he's called Isaiah to, to, to come and encourage him to, to follow the Lord, to follow God. Well, something we should all do, even when our children may not be in the mood to follow God. Encourage them anyway to follow the Lord. But you see, at this point in Scripture, Ahaz is given the opportunity to make the right choice. He has the opportunity to trust God or turn to another evil enemy for help. He could turn to the king of Nineveh and ask them for help. So Isaiah shows up and says, listen, don't go to the enemy for help. Go to the Lord God for help. God is there. But Ahaz has trouble trusting God. So here Isaiah declares God will help you. In fact, God has a specific sign, a specific son. I mean, talk about help. Isaiah says, here, here's what God is going to do. It's another birth announcement. Look at verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we all know means God with us. So here's another birth announcement. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That reminds me of the story of the third grader who drew a picture of the baby Jesus in the manger with clearly identifiable, you can see Mary and, and Joseph and the wise men all standing around. But the teacher had asked, who's the very large guy standing over there by himself? And the kid replied, well, that's round John Virgin. Round John Virgin? Get John Virgin, that's... Wrong virgin. But anyway, what has made the birth of Jesus so amazing is that he was born of a virgin. You know that word here for virgin there, rather, in Isaiah is Alma? And I say that because there are those who say, well, that word for virgin can also be translated young girl, and so it doesn't necessarily mean a virgin. And they try to explain away the virgin birth, that it really didn't happen that way. Listen, nine out of ten times it's used in Scripture, it speaks of a virgin. But let's move now to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to take this a step further. Matthew chapter 1, as you're turning there, it's there in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1 that we see that same word Alma translated into the Greek and it puts it all in the context for us, what Isaiah was saying there back on Isaiah chapter 7. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22, if you're there, we read, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now that's Isaiah saying, here it is, the same reference, Isaiah seven fourteen, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Now that Greek word here for virgin is parthenos, which means virgin, not young woman. So when the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, translates the word virgin from there, Isaiah, in the Hebrew, into the Greek, he did it to mean virgin, not young woman. So Matthew is saying that a virgin will give birth to a child. Besides, think how silly it would be if it was just the word for a young woman. And this will be a sign to you. A young woman will give birth to a son. What kind of sign is that? That happens all the time. See, the incredible thing is that with all the people on earth at that time, only one baby was born of a woman without a man. And that's Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And only one will ever or will be born in that way. Now, back up to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1. One more aspect about this that I don't want to miss. It's found in the names and the genealogy of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 1. First part there, Matthew chapter 1, there's a lot of begets. And this person begets that person and so on and so forth. And, and probably something you don't pay that much attention to because it seems very repetitive. But here's the thing about this. When it comes to the birth of Jesus, there's something wonderful that happens in the language. Look at verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Do you see this? Again, in genealogy, we say this person begot this one, and this person begot this one, and so on and so on. But when it comes to Jesus, it doesn't say Joseph begot Jesus, nor does it say Mary begot Jesus. It says, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. That word of whom there shows us that God was making a baby by a woman alone. Again, it's written that way in order for us to see that God is designating that it's through Mary alone that this baby was to be born. 
And it just shows to us what a miracle this birth truly was. Now listen, God is still in the miracles. Not virgin births, but new births in Christ. To be born again. I mean, think about it now, especially during the holidays, and you think of maybe your friends and, and know of friends who don't know God. Who perhaps, maybe this time of year, they're getting down on their knees and, 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 and they're saying, God, if you really exist, if you're really there, you know things are tight right now financially for me. I need a little help. And maybe God has blessed you and, and you know you have all the presents bought and wrapped or under the tree. You're all done, ready to go. But you've been so busy getting all that done that you haven't really slowed down enough to, to think about other people and other lives and, and what they're going through. Perhaps God wants to use you miraculously, amazingly, to provide and touch the life of somebody else. That would lead to what God is best at doing and that is the miracle of new birth. Will you touch someone's life this year where they'll see your love for Christ displayed in such a way that they will come to the place where they too will say, God, I want you to be real in my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I commit my life to you now. I want to be born again. And God does it. That'd be awesome. Listen, that's a prayer that God will always answer as long as you are alive on this earth. So I encourage you this season, pray for boldness. Ask God to give you the opportunity and the confidence to share your faith. Invite them you know, tomorrow night to our Christmas Eve service. Not Tuesday night, tomorrow night. I'm convinced that even though people may sing and hear Christmas songs all day long, they really don't know who they're singing about. I mean, you can hear them sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And you ask them, do you know who you're singing about? The Lord, yeah, it's baby Jesus. They'll know that as baby Jesus. Yeah, you want to say, yeah, but the baby didn't stay a baby. The baby grew up. But even more so, he accomplished what he came to do. He went to the cross to die for your sins and rise again from the dead and to destroy Satan's power over us. Even that is in some of the songs we sing this time of year. But we need to pray, Lord, give me boldness. Because I know as believers, we have family, we have friends in far places that we think about this time of year. And we pray for those loved ones to come to know Jesus, even though they may be a hundred or a thousand miles away. But we need to understand, folks, it works both ways. Perhaps there are people praying right now uh, for their friends, for their family that live here in Springfield. And you could be used by them, uh, by Lord, to answer their prayers. See, here's, here's the point. It's all about that unexpected visit. It's about God using you in a way that we can take back the meaning of Christmas. To announce the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as someone who needs to be reborn. To be used by the Lord in that capacity. It's just, it's just a thrill. I mean, to know that some mom or dad may be praying uh, for their kid who don't know Christ and God uses you to speak to them. Or, or in another way, a person may be praying in the morning, God, if you really do exist, that I need help this Christmas. And, and as they're praying, you come knocking on the door. Oh, you know, the Lord just laid you on my heart. I, I, I go to Calvary Chapel there in Springfield and, and I just, here's some groceries for you. Just want to bless you. You know, to knock and dash, you know, just maybe throw them on the door and have a, have a bulletin or something in there or just a nice little, little word and, and, and say the Lord loves you. I mean, it's awesome to do that. See, God is using you. Not just bringing them to, to church, but, but using you individually. When you can pray, Lord, how can I bless someone today? Lord, how can I minister today? Lord, what can I do to encourage someone in their walk with you today? God will answer your prayer and bring someone in your path. I think even just a, a pat on someone's back, an encouraging word, is a great uh, uh, ministry to do, especially this time of year. 
Because when you become the agent in which God uses during this Christmas season, what you'll then discover is that you want to be used by this all year long, not just during this time. So we have the announcement of Christ's birth. This brings us to point number two, the arrival of his birth. Now, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. It's the arrival. He's shown up just like he said he would. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. You know, one thing about babies being born, they eventually are born. I keep telling that's profound, isn't it? <laughs> I keep telling my daughter, Annie, who's two weeks and three days before baby Madeline is due. I tell her my favorite verse in the Bible is, and it came to pass. I said, it's going to happen. I mean, eventually, you, know, you get pregnant, the babies, are, they're going to be born. But I actually read the story of a record set by a mom named Beulah Hunter back in 1945 that she delivered a perfectly healthy baby girl, a little Penny Diana, after being pregnant for 375 days. Now, I don't know how this happened. You know, I have a hard time believing it, but I did read this. I mean, an average pregnancy is 280 days. So add on an extra three months and, and, and this hundred carried a daughter in the womb. I mean, think about some of you ladies that are pregnant right now. You're going, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> a year and ten days? No way. My point is sooner or later, later the baby has to come out. In the same way, at just the right time, Jesus the King would arrive. Galatians 4, 4 tells us, When the time was just right, God sent forth the Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who were under the law. I love that phrasing. It's just the right time. Just the right time. At the appointed hour, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, was born there in that manger in Bethlehem. And let me say this, just on a side note, we'll get back to Luke's, Luke's Gospel in a moment. Just on a side note, note when, when the time is just right, Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth again. We must keep that in mind. God has a plan. He has a purpose during this interim period. But Scripture tells us that God is not late as some men count lateness, but is, is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The Lord is, is waiting for those final people to come into His kingdom and put their faith in Him before He comes back the second time. In fact, it would even appear that there might be an actual individual that God is waiting for, for this whole thing to wrap up so we can get out of here. I mean, could you imagine if you knew the one person that God was waiting for to reach, to come to faith in Christ, to be converted so we could be raptured out of here. I know I would be a little bit tempted to put a little bit of pressure on that person. <laughs> would you get saved already so we can get out of here? Go back to the arrival of his birth. Look now at Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So how will I know? What will be the sign? Well, I'm going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. So are the swaddling cloths the sign? No, it's a baby. <laughs> it's a sign. The cloths are important. We'll see that in a moment. But let's say you've never known any of anything concerning God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And God prophesies and says, I'm going to come visit you. Now here's a sign, I'm going to come visit you as a baby. I think you'd go, a baby? A baby God? Now I don't say that disrespectfully. I say that to point out that it's kind of an oxymoron. And our thinking, if we do nothing about 
God's plan of salvation, you can't have a baby God because everything we know uh, of God is majestic and mighty and very intimidating. But that's the whole point. We have deity in humanity. What we have is, is a gift from God in the form of a baby. You can say God in baby form. Now, why is that? Two reasons, humility and approachability. Number one, humility. We have God Almighty, His Son Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We have the triune uh, Godhead, which is the second person in the Trinity. Here's what I, here's, He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm the co-creator of, of the universe, Jesus says. I was there placing the stars in the sky, placing the planets in the orbit. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reduce myself to the size of a baby and come to this earth. Again, remember biology 101. Jesus Christ is going to become a fertilized egg. I mean, that's what he's going to do. Leaving heaven to come to this earth. We're told in Philippians 2 verse 8, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. To leave heaven and to come to this earth as a baby. Humility. And then number two, approachability. Approachability. So we can approach him. I've always liked the story called The Man and the Birds, written by Paul Harvey. It goes like this. It's kind of a long story, but I think you'll enjoy it if you haven't heard it. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you to was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the whole Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite that he'd much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them till they got home. And so he stayed as they went to the Christmas Eve service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier, and then went back to the fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by this thudding sound. Then another, then another, sort of a, a thump or a thud. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against his living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let these poor creatures lie there and freeze, so he thought about his barn. There they would find warmth and shelter for the birds if he could just direct them to it. So quickly he put on his coat, galoshes, trampled through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide, turned on the light, but the birds had not come in, so he figured food would entice them. He hurried back to the house, fetched some breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. So he tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms. Instead, they, they scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. Then he realized, he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I'm a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not going to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made uh, tended to frighten them, confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shoot because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. That I could show them the way to safe, warm barn. But uh, I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. 
At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells ring the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow and immediately understood what God did through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Love that story. Folks, it's the same reason in Exodus chapter 19 that the, the teachers of the people of God were afraid of God because of his size, because of his power. Exodus 19 verse 16 says this, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So Moses says to the people, Hey, let's go out to the mountain and meet with God and there's this thunder and lightning and Moses speaks with God and the people, they were freaked out. So they were trembling. So the people get together and they, they say to Moses, Hey, Mo, the next time we get together and, and you need to talk to God, we don't want to talk to Him. They were afraid of God. Have you ever been afraid of God? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been afraid of a baby? Who's ever been afraid of a baby? Well, with all my five children that were born, I can't remember anyone coming over and sneaking in and looking at one of my babies and going, Oh, there's a baby in there. Run for the hills. Maybe I did that, but I don't know if they, you know. <laughs> no one's terrified of a baby. It's just a baby. Everyone wants to see the baby. Oh, let me see the baby. How cute. And we make all these weird faces and contortions and noises to make the baby smile. Why? Because the babies are approachable. They're approachable. So if all we know of God is thundering and lightning and God's desire is to rescue us, it's not going to happen by thunder and lightning. It's too scary. It's not approachable. But if I could become a sparrow, I could show them the way out. Here's my point. Here we have God Almighty who clothes Himself in humility. The only one born of a virgin. He comes as a baby so that you and I will see His humility and approachability. And yet, at times, we don't even acknowledge that He's there. We don't even spend any time with Him. Do you see what He's gone through for you just to hang out with you? See how important it is, especially during this time, that we don't get wrapped up in everything that's going on around us and pass up Jesus during this season. And when all said and done, and, and you look back and say, well, I really didn't spend that, that much time with my Lord. Why not? Because you've allowed other things to get in the way. So we have the announcement that He would be coming. We have the arrival as a baby. Now look at what He wants you to spend time with you. Our last point, number three, His apparel. We know His announcement was a virgin birth. We know His arrival was humble and approachable. But what about his apparel? Look at, at, at verse 12 of Luke chapter 2. It tells us, You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now we know swaddling cloths were the same cloths that they used for, for embalming, uh, embalming process. In other words, they're grave cloths. This was fitting because Jesus did come to die. But there's more to his apparel than that. Let's leave Luke's gospel and turn now to Hebrews chapter 4. Last place you're going to turn to this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. And I love this. It's there in Hebrews 4. We find out what else Jesus was wearing. Not clothing, but items of the heart. In fact, these verses actually speak to all of us as the, as the condition our heart should be in and, and what we've all been called to accomplish, not our, only during Christmas, but all year long. Verse 14 through 16. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is Jesus clothed in? Is it a special garment from the Carter's baby store? No. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, is clothed in sympathy. He understands our weaknesses. So there will never be a time in your life when you approach God and say, Lord, God, oh, never mind. You wouldn't understand. This is something that I'm only going through. I'm being so misunderstood here. Come on. Don't you think Jesus understands what it's like to be misunderstood on earth? Oh, but Lord, you know, it seems like this trial is so tough. Everyone is putting me down, Lord. It just seems I'm being, just being beat up. This is bad. Don't you think the Lord knows what it's like to be beat up bad? Folks, do you understand that Jesus is so sympathetic towards us because He knows what we're going through. He felt all the same things we feel. In fact, that same verse, verse 15, in the New Living Translation reads, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus went through the same uh, trials that we go through and temptations, yet he did not sin. He was always able to rely upon the resources of his Father to walk in such a way that he could glorify God as being the last Adam. Let me tell you what that means. First Adam lived in perfect conditions, was tempted, and he fell. The last Adam, symbolically, in which the Bible points to Jesus, was very difficult circumstances, but he stood strong. He stripped himself of his glory, clothed himself with humility, so that we would all understand that he's an incredible example for us and really understands what we all face. He's clothed in sympathy. So no matter what you're facing today, whatever difficulty or circumstance, Jesus Christ is there for you to strengthen you, to comfort you, to show you compassion and sympathy. I think so often we get the impression like the children of Israel had of God. That thundering voice from heaven just waiting that if you mess up one time at any given time, man, boom, the hammer's coming down, your life is going to be miserable. That's not the God we serve. Our God is clothed with sympathy and love and compassion. Our God who left His throne in heaven only to be clothed with a crown of thorns on earth so we might know and experience His love and grace and forgiveness in our lives. How do we know this? Because of what Jesus said in John 17, 4 and 5. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know, the actual story of Jesus' birth goes long before eternity passed, long before the world ever was. Let me put it this way, and we're going to close with this. We have the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And long before they created the galaxies, long before the sun, the moon, the stars were thrown into space, before all the planets were aligned, and before this planet called Earth was ever brought into existence, they decided to create a creature who would live on this planet called Earth and that they would call him man. And this creature would be like, like, unlike any other being ever created. For they would declare in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. It would have a body, a soul, and a spirit. 
A body that would be physical, touchable, tangible. A soul that would have conscience and emotions and feelings. A spirit that would give him the unique ability to commune with God and to know God. Like God himself, this creature man would be a spirit being. Be like any other creatures God would ever make to dwell on planet earth. Man would have the ability to warm God's heart, but also to break God's heart. And God knew all of that before man was ever made. God knew that man would rebel, that man would reject him, and he knew what it it would cost to love man, and to save man, and to rescue man. And yet, and yet he created him anyway. That, to me, is amazing. I mean, let's put it in our perspective. Let's put it the way we can understand it. Picture a husband and a wife, they're having a discussion, and they're considering having a child, and they're wondering if they're really ready to start a family or not. Well, that night as they go to bed, they both have the same dream, and in the dream they're given this picture of this child that they might conceive. And at first he's small, and he's cute, and he's uh, you know cuddly, but as the dream continues, they're given further insight into what this child will become. And as he grows, he begins to become rebellious. He's going to break their hearts, not once, not twice, but hundreds of times. He's going to get into trouble. He's going to be destructive. He's going to cause great pain to come upon them and many others through his selfish pursuits. And the life that he chooses to live, it's going to result in him being thrown into prison with a life sentence. As the dream continues, an opportunity is presented to these parents that could result in their son being saved, being set free special situation where the son could be freed if the father agreed to serve his sentence by taking his place and taking his punishment. But even if the father made the decision to take his son's place, there would be no guarantee that the son would change his rebellious ways or that he would love his parents and seek to bless them instead of hurting them. Now, if you were given that much insight about what your child would be like before you conceived that child, would you even try to conceive? Would you even want that child to be born? To a certain extent, that is the decision that the Father and the Son made before the world began, before man was created. They knew that man would rebel and turn their back on God. They knew that man would sin. They knew that man would drive a wedge between man and God, that man would be a slave to his sin and his passions and all sorts of evil. They knew what it would cost to love man and to have that relationship with man restored, what it would mean to show man how much they loved him. They knew that it would cost everything. And they knew that it would be no guarantee that the man would change, that he would love God and desire to be with them. In fact, they knew that most would not. But there would be those who would receive his love, his gift. And the decision was made. The plan was set in motion. And on that day, there was born to us, that day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, he loves you so much. Loves you so much. He died for you upon the cross to give you life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, don't wait any, any longer. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the time to be, be born again, to have that new life. As soon as service is over, you want to come talk to the elders who will be up front. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But for us as believers, we have such a great opportunity to share the love of Christ with those around us. Let's take whatever opportunity we have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love, your grace. Thank you, Lord, that knowing ahead of time how I would live my life, how we would live our lives, Lord, even before knowing you and the sinfulness of our hearts, 
that you sent your son to die on the cross for each one of us. So that by believing in him, turning from our sin, we can have life on this earth and eternal life with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our sin being forgiven. Thank you for the incarnation, God, that you came to a place where we could understand, where we could see that, yeah, you are a mighty God, a powerful God. You spoke this, this the whole creation into existence. But yet you humbled yourself and came down in the form of a baby to save us, to show us what we must do to be saved. Lord, help us to get the message out. Help us to show this love to those around us. Help us to know that, that, that your return is near, Lord. There's not much time that we might bring you glory and praise in every opportunity. Lord, I know that we're going to have family and friends that we're going to be in contact with. Lord, that we may be an answered prayer to someone right now. Lord, as we go to the grocery store or one more shopping place, Lord, that we might share the truth, the love that you have for those people around us. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for giving us breath for one more day that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.